audio check. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of RX Radio. I am your host, Dr. Richard Waith, and today we have an awesome, awesome episode for you. We're going to be diving into blockchain, the opioid crisis, and cannabis. And with that, I give you Dr. Steve Mallon. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Richard. Uh, thank you for having me. I've been listening to podcasts for a long time, but this is the first time I'm on a podcast, so... Looking forward to it. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're glad to have you on here. We're excited to dive into what it is that you know you're doing as a pharmacist, um, you know, out in the field and and doing different things, and probably going to go over some stuff people might not have heard about here before. So I'm I'm really excited about. It. I hope the listeners are too. But uh, let's let's go ahead and get it started by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, I was born in Ukraine um, and then came over when I was two years old uh, when USSR collapsed. Uh, moved to New York, uh, lived in New Jersey for the most part, and you know went to school to um, in Rhode Island. <clears throat> I did a, a dual degree. It was more like a buy one get one pharmacy and uh, MBA, uh, which was really really good experience. Um, and then yeah, for the past five years, I've been a pharmacist. Um, but um, as you mentioned, I'm, I've uh, dove into the rabbit hole that is uh, blockchain. Uh, but also a little bit of cannabis. And um, so, yeah, it's been a pretty interesting past three to four years. Yeah. Definitely a lot of a lot of interesting things happening. Yeah, I can imagine. And what are you doing for fun? What kind of hobbies do you have? So, you know, I'm kind of, I guess you can call it that I'm in a band, but um, it's pretty, you know, we're definitely not going on tour anytime soon. So it's more <laughs> like we're just playing, we're just playing for ourselves. So I play like a little guitar. Nice. I sing really, I sing really horribly. Uh, so I, I sing for myself, not for other people. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I play pretty much anything with a racket, tennis, uh, squash, ping pong, badminton, love racket sports. Um, I like running trail runs. I do nice. like trail marathons, uh, running in the woods is awesome. You know, I, uh, I used yeah. to, I used to play a lot of tennis in pharmacy school, um, because I had a, a, ra- sorry, I used to play a lot of racquetball in pharmacy school because I had a racquetball court next, like right next to my house. Um, oh, my yeah. apartment up there. when yeah. I moved back to Miami, it was so hard to find like a racquetball court that was like easily accessible and I had to switch to tennis, but hmm. uh, interesting switch though. I guess cause of the good weather. Cause you have yeah. good weather all year round. So why do you have to play in a stupid yeah, exactly. little box? <laughs> um, but, uh, cool, cool. So let's, um, you know, I've talked about blockchain on here a couple of times before, but I'm, you know, I don't consider myself an expert or anywhere near it. Um, but I'd like to maybe hear a little bit about what you, like, how would you explain blockchain to people that maybe have never heard of it or don't really know exactly how it works? Sure. So, um, blockchain basically is a way of storing data in a trustless, trustless format. Uh, what that means is um, instead of like one company owning the data, like instead of Facebook owning your social media data and doing whatever they want with it and you kind of having no control and, you know, that blew up in the news recently. Basically, what blockchain allows you to do is to share data amongst different parties um, and for them, everybody to trust that the data is 
is what it was originally. So it's an immutable, immutable ledger. Um, so that's a good way to putting it. But um, honestly, that part is cool, but the, the philosophy of it is the best part because basically it came out of 2008 financial crisis. So there was a 2008 financial crisis. After that, everybody's like, all right, screw these banks, uh, screw even the government because they kind of like failed us in some regard as well. Um, and basically, um, Bitcoin was created as this like decentralized uh, currency uh, where not one company has control, where not one um, government has control over it. It's, it's completely decentralized. So the philosophy is about taking away the control from corporations and from the government and bringing it back to the people, to the individual. And for healthcare purposes, that's amazing because, you know, how often have you been like, oh, I have no control of my healthcare data. You know, the hospitals have your data. The pharmacy has your data. The do doctor has your data. But then to like get it, sometimes you have to pay for it. You know, which is crazy. I had a, I have a technician, her husband unfortunately passed away a few years ago. And then she was just trying to like double check the medical records at the hospital to make sure everything was kosher because it was a horrible experience. She had to pay for her husband's records. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, part of the blockchain is like, I'm going to try to avoid using the B word. <laughs> which is blockchain. Mm -hmm. But uh, part of it's the philosophy of bringing the power back to the individual, which in healthcare is extremely important. So how did you, I feel like everyone has like a story as to like how they got into like, you know, like the blockchain crypto world. How did you, how did you kind of, you know, kind of get into that rabbit hole? Yeah. So um, basically, so I graduated five years ago and then I remember my first year working a lot. I remember working like 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 hours a week, you know, picking up shifts, trying to pay off student loans and stuff like that, uh, which I'm still paying, uh, unfortunately. Um, and then, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Um, and basically, after a year or two, I kind of got like sick of just like reading books on my day, days off. And I was like, you know what? I want to write my own thing. And um, what I wanted to write about was what the future looks like in terms of how people in, interact with technology. Um, and, um, you know, I've had the same interactions with like social media in terms of like being angry about it and like, oh, this sucks as most people have. So a lot of it was centered about that. Um, so basically it was like a book that I wrote that takes place like 50 years from now. And I had to do a lot of research in terms of like artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, but also cryptocurrencies. So I made sure, you know, this was back in 2014. Uh, this was pretty much the early years of cryptocurrency. But when I was researching all this stuff in terms of future things, future artificial intelligence, future this, future that, something that always came up was cryptocurrencies. So I made sure to include that. Um, and then I, I, did a, I did do a lot of research on it, writing the book, because I had to talk about it, you know? Yeah. And right. then... Um, and then basically what happened was I went down this writing path and then um, what happened was I think, um, oh yeah, so I wanted to create a blockchain EMR company because I'm like, oh, blockchain is perfect for electronic medical records. You know, it's immutable ledger, give the, uh, give the power back to the patient. This is perfect. So I just Googled blockchain EMR and the first thing that came up was this company MedChain. And uh, they had like this white paper up 
which I don't know if your listeners are familiar, but like a white paper is like this description, like this 15, 20 page description of like a business and every ICO or initial coin offering business has puts out this white paper. And basically, um, you know, I looked at it and it was a really cool idea and I contacted the uh, executive leadership and basically became an advisor for them, which was cool. Um, and then what happened next? Next would be, oh, I started the company, uh, ICA, Integrative Care Alliance, where we're basically using blockchain cannabis to combat the opioid epidemic. And um, now I'm also teaching basically the fundamentals of blockchain, uh, but also more importantly, something called PEB, uh, which is patient empowered blockchain. So basically we're I'm teaching like insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, hospitals about how they can use blockchain to empower the patients. And as pharmacists, you know, we've always been told about motivational interviewing, not telling patients like, do this, do that, but get the buy-in of the patient. So mm -hmm. it's about that. So it's PEB is about using blockchain to give the power back to the patient and to make them take them to make them feel empowered to make them feel like motivated that they have control over their health yeah so, so that's really briefly about all that stuff yeah and so that sounds great i mean it sounds cool how, how you kind of got into like the backstory and yep. you know you mentioned i guess the technology having probably at least the most that you're interested in was like you know initially through ehr now mm -hmm. how else do you see I guess the te the technology having an impact, um, like on healthcare and, and, and on the broader spectrum, maybe maybe not just within the electronic health record space, but in some other space. Do, do you see other you know really really interesting use cases that um, you know you've kind of looked into that you'd like to share? Well, first of all, um, in a few years, it's possible that no one will be talking about the B word, so no one will be saying blockchain. So are you, so I'm sure you're familiar with HTTPS. You know, um, basically, that's the that's a protocol that's similar to blockchain. Um, that's the protocol of the entire internet. Now, what if? But how often do people actually talk about that? Who talks about HTTPS? Nobody. Um, now, in a few years, it's going to be the same thing. No one's going to be talking about blockchain because it'll just be the underpinning of everything. So you're asking interesting use cases, like anything that you could think of. It's going to be penetrating. Um, because that's where it's moving. It's moving. Everybody's pissed off at government. Everybody's pissed off about corporations because they're not doing a good job. And it's, and, and it's actually very difficult to do a good job um, acting in the best interest of the patient or the customers. So basically, um, but I mean, in short, to answer your question, the biggest thing is going to be about patient being able to control their records, but also to monetize their own records. There's a lot of really cool use cases uh, with patients using their DNA, patients using their like the you know which which DNA they have, uh, which medications they're taking, all their results, and basically monetizing um, that data in their own way, uh, which is pretty cool. And it could be a way to make healthcare free for people uh, almost to a certain extent. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff with supply chain. So there's a lot of um, a lot of companies that are doing pharmaceutical supply chain on the blockchain, um, uh, medical uh, device supply chain, um, electronic medical records. If you if you put all electronic medical records on the blockchain and you put it in power of the patient, 
like I said, they could monetize it. They could send it out. They could send it out easily to an AI company that can analyze your data and pretty much act like a doctor and be like, oh, by evaluating these points, we can figure out, oh, that you have this problem and you should take this treatment. So, I mean, if if the entire EMR is in the blockchain, that's that, that will affect the entire healthcare system. That will affect medical billing, everything. Yeah. I mean, it, I I know it's going to be huge, and you know, it's funny you mentioned kind of like the term blockchain. I feel like it's going to be almost synonymous to the word the internet, you know, or, or maybe even social media. Like, whereas, you know, it doesn't go into the specifics of like the backends and the protocols and like proof of work and proof of stake, all this kind of stuff. It, it kind of just is kind of an all encompassing term. So. I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe it won't, you know, maybe they'll call it something different or it'll be, it'll be, it'll get shortened to like, uh, it's on the chain, you know, like they don't even, they'll take out the block part. I don't know. But, yeah, um, <laughs> I totally agree with you because HTTPS is the entire internet. Yeah. It's the protocol that runs the entire internet, but we don't talk about it like that. Yeah. Exactly, you know, exactly. you know, so I, I agree with you. And again, it's the important thing it's to take away from is the philosophy behind it. The main philosophy and to not forget about that is taking away the power from the, companies and the government and bringing it back to individual and in healthcare that's like super important yeah yeah so let's dive into a little bit of more specific you know as to what you're doing and what the things that you're actually working on and and kind of tying in kind of the clinical and, and pharmacist part of it so um let's get into i guess the you know how how is the opioid crisis and the cannabis thing how's that all kind of fitting in and and you know how's that happening with your app and and the company yeah. you're working with yeah, so the clinical, the the data that's out there is already really powerful um, in terms of not only cannabis being really good for pain, especially chronic pain, which uh, opioids uh, time and time again have proven to be really not great at all and obviously causes death um, and overdoses. Um, so basically, the, the, but in addition to it, doing that in terms of being good for pain, it's also really good for patients that are addicted uh, to pain medicines and getting off of them. Um, so basically Suboxone does a good job getting people off, but people relapse off of Suboxone usually like seven to eight times. So like we know with cigarettes, people like relapse from uh, stopping smoking cigarettes like seven to eight times. Same thing with Suboxone. But what the data shows, not only in rats, but also in human data, in, not in America, unfortunately, because the data is pretty limited here because of the legality, but in Israel and Canada, it's been so strong that cannabis not only gets people off of opiates, but it helps keep people off of opiates. Yeah. So, um, so our company, ICA, we are in the middle of launching an app called Cure All. Uh, now, cure all. The definition is a panacea. It's a it's a remedy for all ills, and it's crazy how cannabis helps: anxiety, pain, seizures, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's. Like the list goes on and on and on. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yet it's been completely stifled by regulation. Um, the origin, actually, of cannabis being illegal uh, was that people, politicians, thought that cannabis that black men <laughs> are using cannabis to steal white women that's the origin which is absolutely that's insane yeah like um so basically um what we're doing is basically taking um taking cannabis 
we're empowering cannabis by putting an app in the hands of not only the patient, but doctors and dispensaries, uh, which in the medical cannabis world, that's all the important stakeholders. And we're trying to collect, first of all, we're trying to collect data. So we're in the middle of, um, uh, what's it called, applying for an NIH study and an NSF study, uh, where we're going to see how well our app uh, can get people off of opiates and keep them off of opiates. And then we're going to be collecting data from those patients and ask, you know, they're going to be on a certain amount of pain medication. They're going to use a certain strain of cannabis. And then we're going to ask the patient, how well did that work for you? You know, did your pain go from like 10 to five? Like, you know, how, how, how much did it help you with your pain? And then we're going to also see how it helped them get off of opiates six months down the line, a year down the line, two years down the line. And then from that, we're going to be able to figure out which strains help which medical conditions? Because it's not only good for pain. It's good for all those other medical conditions that I, I said before. And uh, that's what's missing in the cannabis world right now is in most states with medicinal cannabis, you get an authorization from a doctor and then you go to dispensary and you can get whatever you want. So, so it. Yeah. <laughs> so what is so what does the app actually do though? Like what why is it like why is what's the need for it exactly and what does it do that those, you know, the current process that you're seeing now doesn't do? So first of all, seeing a doctor um consistently for this and getting the cannabis is extremely expensive. Um in most in definitely New Jersey, in most states that are like early uh on board. I mean sorry, late on board. Um so basic first it it makes the marketplace more free by connecting the patients, uh, the dispensary, and the doctor together. Um, so basically, when you go onto the app, we want to make it like telemedicine. So basically, you go on, and it's almost like Uber. You go on, and let's say you have no ability, you have no authorization at that point to get cannabis. You go on the app, and you say, you know, you want to get cannabis for this particular medical conditions, and then through telemedicine, it connects you with a doctor who's available at the time. The doctor will quickly be able to authorize the patient because it's pretty much a transactional thing. You know, you're addicted to opiates, you qualify. Um, you know, you have multiple sclerosis, you qualify. Uh, you have cancer pain, you qualify. And then um, after it connects with the doctor that gives you authorization, you can uh, find which strain is best for you using our algorithm. And then after that, you find it in a dispensary uh, that has that strain. And then ideally, we want to get it to the point where you can get delivery of that medicine because a lot of patients that qualify for medicinal cannabis, you know, they're homebound, you know, uh, they're late stage cancer. Um, you know, these are not multiple sclerosis patients. You don't want to exactly have them running around in the heat and cause a uh, MS exacerbation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so yeah, from beginning to end. But there is also obviously the clinical outcome part, uh, which is the blockchain component as well. So we're empowering the patient by taking that healthcare data that they're going to be um, accumulating by putting into the app, oh, this works this much, this works this much. And that's going to be very valuable data. And we're going to empower the patient by being able to sell off that data to whoever, to research companies, to cannabis companies who want to know uh, what, what, uh, can, which cannabis is working for which people, uh, which one, which strains are the most popular so they can figure out what to harvest more. Um, so that's the blockchain component. Um, but the big picture in the end is something huge. 
So everybody who's going to be listening to this podcast who's pharmacy related, uh, if they're pharmacists or in pharmacy school, they're definitely familiar with pharmacy benefit managers. So what we're looking to be in uh, the near future is a dispensary benefit manager. So we want to help insurance companies pay for cannabis, which is an extremely disruptive treatment. Um, It's very inexpensive compared to most medications, yet it helps tremendously. We already know this 100% for pain, for nausea, and for MS. And the rest, we'll find out. Um, But basically, it prevents people from overdosing on opiates, prevents people from going to the hospital, uh, it prevents patients from going through the whole pain treatment mm-hmm. um, uh, part of the healthcare system, which is extremely expensive with all the spinal taps, all the different um, tests. Uh, it's very, very expensive. So, so uh, we see ourselves eventually as this D, uh, DBM uh, role, and we're a pioneer in that. Nobody else has even said that. So we, we've coined that phrase. Yeah. So I think, one, I think the you know, the DBM route, I think that's going to be something interesting to follow, um, you know, especially because just the coordination of benefits a lot of times and just making sure, you know, people are reimbursed properly is going to be, uh, is going to be something interesting, but kind of going back to the app though, I feel like a lot of people will give pushback in the sense of making it seem like it's easy to get, like you're making it easier to get access to cannabis. Mm -hmm. What are going to be, are there going to be things in place that's going to kind of like verify that people in fact do have MS or in, are in fact, you know, addicted to opioids or um, are, are those types of things going to be in place to kind of make sure that it isn't just something that someone can go on and kind of like in California kind of just get like a dispensary card and then willing yeah. to get, you know, cannabis as they, as they please. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that comes down to identity management. So the way that, um, I mean, think about right now, how it works in terms of going to a doctor or anything like how does the doctor really know it's you um so basically the way it works in uh, new jersey if you want to get into the cannabis uh the medicinal cannabis um program is there's documents that you have to support uh sup- supply so uh you know we're working with the new jersey state government in terms of uh meeting that same um what's it called, stringent, I guess you can call it, uh, expectation of asking the patient to supply those documents uh, because that's the current standard. Now, again, in terms of like proving who you are, um, it's not that hard for people to like kind of go into a doctor's office, supply certain documents, and basically pretend to be someone else. So we're kind of meeting the same kind of standard that's currently uh, in place, which is, you know, you have to provide those documents, which are you know, driver's license, um, uh, what, uh, you know, insurance card, whatever other information that is currently the standard and uh, basically going that path. Now, this is a little bit different than if we were creating an app for people to get OxyContin, okay? So the difference between OxyContin or any opiate and cannabis is no one has ever overdosed and died from cannabis. Uh, millions of people have overdosed and died from opiates. So uh, what we are what we are um, hoping to do is make it as easy as possible for patients to get off of to get off of opiates. And worst case scenario, if they get onto cannabis, and even if they develop an addiction to cannabis, 
So what? You know, uh, no one, like I said, no one has ever died from an overdose on cannabis. Uh, an important part of uh, our target audience is not kids. So um, it's been proven left and right that when kids or adolescents uh, start using cannabis, it's very detrimental for the mental health. Um, it's really, really bad time for people to start. So we're definitely not advocating for, uh, you know, 13 year old people, uh, kid, um, kids to uh, be getting uh, cannabis. Um, um, but I mean, there are exclusions to that as well, because for seizure disorders, there's, uh, cannabis has been proven to be actually really, really good. So mm -hmm. there are there could be exceptions where it's like you know where it's really important for that to happen. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for the most part, like I said, um, it's not really as important because, like I said, we're not creating an app for OxyContin. We're creating an app for for cannabis, uh, which I said, like I said before, no one has ever overdosed and died yeah. from it. You know, I mean, it's definitely obviously it's less dangerous. I mean, yeah, you know, people can you know smoke and kind of like you know have their stuff impaired where they're driving things like that. I mean, that's definitely yeah. not, nowhere near, I guess, the danger of what, you know, would be expected in, in a lot of, you know, Percocets, let's say just out on the, out on the, uh, out on the street. Now, Absolutely. Um, you mentioned the identity management and blockchain. And, and I think, um, you know, I, it might even be out of the scope really of, of like just this conversation, but Identity management is going to be huge on blockchain. Like I, the, the one company that just kind of comes to mind is Civic Key, which you know, if anyone's interested to read more about what they're doing, I think it's a really interesting concept. They basically want to put your like an entire person's like driver license, basically like passport, like where you'd be able to go from country to country and be authenticated as who you are on this particular blockchain. So hmm. I think it's really interesting that you mention identity management. Now, how is it? Like, why is why is it that that's important to be on the blockchain? And especially, um, you, you kind of mentioned how, you know, we do want to prove a person is who they say they are. But why is it important for it to be on the blockchain? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, it's not a really, in my opinion, at this point, it's not really a big problem. So in, um, in creating this app, uh, we are dealing with identity management systems that are on, you know, Amazon's AWS, Microsoft's Azure. Um, pretty much all the cloud platforms have pretty powerful identity management systems um, that work actually pretty well. Um, I guess, but I mean, there's still an opportunity. Um, I guess the purpose would be to give the power again back to the. In, in that case, it'd be into the citizen. Uh, in the healthcare realm, it's in terms of the patient. Um, it's about, in, in the end, it's about control of your data uh, to be able to say, oh, you know, I'm this person and I want to make sure the data goes to this company or this pharmacy or this hospital. Um, but, I mean, to answer your question, basically, it's not really the biggest problem at this point in the healthcare system, mm -hmm. um, because like I said, the cloud platforms, they do a good job with identity management. Um, like even that civic key thing, it wouldn't necessarily have to be on the blockchain. Um, as long as the governments of all those, of all those governments that where you, where you'd be going would be recognizing the platform. Uh, the blockchain component is not very important. You know, it's almost like a online passport, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, 
putting on the again uh, this is goes back to the b word thing like i guess it can be put on the blockchain but in that situation it's not really that important yeah in my opinion but i think it's it isn't it similar to the pain point of like the ehr um i guess but the pain point with the ehr is being able to access the data and give permission to different parties to access the information. So like right now, you know, you have gone to, all of us have gone to like certain number of doctors, certain number of pharmacies, God forbid, hopefully not, but maybe certain number of hospitals. Um, but uh, we have no, it's not about the identity management. All those systems have great identity management system. Well, maybe not great, but to a certain extent, they could find you in the system and they could know what's yours and what's not yours. Uh, the problem is you have no control over that data. So I would argue that the main pain point isn't the identity management, it's the control over the data. And that's kind of what we're what I'm teaching to different you know insurance companies and hospitals is basically that PEB, patient empowered blockchain. Use blockchain to empower the patients to um, be able to have control over their data. Um, to be able to give access to different uh, companies. Um, you know, as an insurance company, I would want to give that option, give that power to my patient, to my beneficiaries uh, so that they can have prevent, you know, um, aller allergic reactions. You know, as pharmacists, how often have we seen, <laughs> you look at the allergy list and it has 20 different allergies for some reason, Ashtrianam, carbapenems, and you ask the patient, do you have any allergies? They're like, no. How the hell did that happen? Um, yeah like how how the hell did that happen doesn't make any sense i hope you don't have to bleep that out by the way no, i think no, hell is fine right hell's fine yeah ever so since uh lmfao sexy and i know it you could yeah. say anything i'm pretty sure <laughs> so um but yeah so the identity management i wouldn't really be so hard to it's about that control over the data i mean at the end of the day it is going to be like an identity management thing but it's that's not the pain point it's just like the path to fix the pain point yeah gotcha so kind of looking through, um, you know, what Cureall was doing and, and how it's going to work now, a lot of times when you have a blockchain, either it be application or company or whatever the case may be, there's usually a coin or a token or something associated with it. Now, there's already coins and tokens and currencies already made. And, you know, obviously we know that there's, you know, a major three of them like Bitcoin, yep. Ethereum, Litecoin, and, you know, some would argue the whole Bitcoin cash thing, all that good stuff. But like being that there's these major coins already established and have a place in the, like in the market, it seems that I think Cureall is creating another credit. We're not. Or, yeah. We're, we're, I'm, I'm sorry. I think there is like a little bit of confusion okay. with the, when I, when I say the presentation and all that stuff. Um, so there's something called Cureall credits, but it's more like airline miles. So it's not a coin. Gotcha. So I don't see any point of, first of all, creating a coin, at least yet. Maybe in the future, um, there there's something called tokenized kind of tokenomics in terms of where you can use coins to incentivize behavior. Mm -hmm. And that is a potential opportunity for us that could be actually really cool. Um, uh, but we're not going that route because... We're already doing. We already have a lot on our plates. It's it's already yeah. a huge deal what we're doing. Um, first of all, cannabis. Second of all, blockchain. Like, there's no reason to add the whole ICO uh, gamut to it. Um, but we're still using the same concept uh, of tokenomics or um, why why companies use uh, tokens and uh, why cr they create their own coin. So the reason we're creating 
it's not a it's not a ICO, it's not a blockchain cryptocurrency, but we're creating this crypto um, this cure-all credit. So basically, as a way to incentivize uh, the patient uh, to basically provide that clinical outcome data on the app. So if you think about it, um, you know why would they put in that data saying, "Oh, it helps me this amount." You'd think like they would get the cannabis, and after that, they're done. Uh, first of all, they have a they have a incentive in terms of the more data they put in, it'll help them. But what we're trying to give them is a little bit of carrot and give them credits for putting in that data. Um, and then we can use, uh, they can use those credits to pay the doctor or the dispensary. So we're kind of trying to create this, like, it's kind of like an, it's not an ICO, but it's the tokenomics behind an ICO. That's how companies utilize uh, tokenomics. Well, I think the tokenomics thing works well, usually a lot because there's usually a way to go back into the like get your currency back out into how you normally have currency. So, yeah, on an exchange, absolutely. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. in the case with the cure credit, the way you're currently envisioning it, basically the cure credit has to stay within the system of cure all. Yeah, be because it's to. not a cryptocurrency. It's not even a cryptocurrency. It's like airline miles. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Um, so it's okay. like that. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Let's go into kind of like, I guess, more clinically with like cannabis. Now, obviously, it's going to be a huge industry. I mean, that's, you know, we've seen it kind of in Colorado, kind of how that started and the economics that that brought there. This is clearly going to be a huge industry. And oh, far- yeah. It already is. Yeah. yeah. And pharmacists want to... F- you know, eventually they're going to want to start playing a better role. And some states are going to require, I think there might've been one already, but some states are going to require dispensaries to actually have pharmacists there. So how is it? Okay, there you go. So how is it that um, pharmacists can kind of get into learning clinically and, and like kind of sharpening their, their clinical sword on cannabis? What resources do you know of that um, you can point them towards? Sure. Um, Like I said before, there's already strong data in terms of pain, nausea, and MS. So if you just do like your typical PubMed search, like PubMed cannabis, um, uh, you know, opiate use disorder, or cannabis pain, um, cannabis uh, nausea, it'll not only pull up relatively large uh, studies, but meta-analyses that are kind of like, you know, the gold standard um, in terms of science. Um. Yeah, it's funny actually because I was at a conference recently in Nashville, and this doctor who was this like neurologist who was who admitted he was a um, a former addict. Um, he was asked a question on a panel. He was asked, "What if the data and the like? What if the clinical science, a medical science behind cannabis, reaches a point where it's actually really strong? Would you change your mind uh, about cannabis?" He was vehemently against cannabis and he's like no uh which was really really surprising so what i would tell pharmacists is basically keep your mind open and um just look at the data and um like like i said pubmed um nih actually has some pretty good studies um the studies out of israel out of canada are the strongest um there is a company, I can't t- say it yet, but there's a company that we are, uh, what's it called, creating a relationship with that they are ex- actually trying to do what you're talking about. They're trying to create a platform 
um, of clinical resources regarding cannabis for pharmacists. And uh, we're currently like in the talks of having our da data uh, with the patients poured out uh, to that company and they can use that data to basically uh, teach the, the, uh, the pharmacist which cannabis works for which medical conditions. Um, so yeah, the data is pretty, pretty strong already, but it's limited for certain medical conditions. So like I said, pain, uh, nausea, MS are the top three. Um, seizures is moderate. Um, Crohn's is moderate. Um, so yeah, that's for the most part. Well, I think, you know, I was looking to try to see if, and it sounds like it's probably also extremely limited, especially if there's a market for the company that you just mentioned, but like, you mm. know, people to just learn like the dosing of it and like, you know, you know, what dose is too much for, you know, this population or, um, I guess things yeah, like that without not, having to read the study. That's for yeah. sure. Okay. It's, that's where, that's the pain point that we're trying to get at with our app. Yeah. Because uh, it will talk. So what we're going for is pharmaceutical precision. So, you know, we, we talk about the right medication, right dose, right time, right patient, right? So we're trying to do the same thing with uh, cannabis. The right, um, the right strain at the right dose at the right time. The medical science is not even close to being at that point. Uh, and that's a problem. That's a huge problem uh, because dose is really important. Frequency is very important. Strain is very important. Imagine being, being go, going to the pharmacy with a prescription and being able to take anything from the shelf. That's where the industry is right now. And as much of a supporter I am of cannabis for medical purposes, that's a problem. And that's a problem we're trying to solve. Gotcha. So let's, you know, for the pharmacists that are trying to get into this industry, what do you think are like, what's your best advice to kind of give them to get into maybe both even, I guess, blockchain and, you know, the cannabis industry? So if they are a pharmacist, uh, like a health court, healthcare organization, like a hospital, um, a insurance company, uh, if they're like relatively higher up, I'm not talking about like just a, like a retail pharmacist or a, a hospital pharmacist, someone who's an executive leadership, I would uh, ask them to basically Google patient empowered blockchain or PEB. And then uh, a link for blockchain training alliance will come up. And that's the course uh, that we're working on. Uh, that's a great way to get started for to get your organization caught up to speed on blockchain. Um Blockchain is very difficult to get caught up on properly um, because there's a lot of crap out there. Same thing with cannabis, actually. There's a lot of crap out there. Mm -hmm. um, the internet is mostly full of crap. Um, <laughs> I mean, we know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For Like I said, for cannabis, do the same thing with medication. What are you going to do when you're searching about different drugs or different treatment paths? You know, you're going to do a PubMed search. Um, you're going to go to NIH, uh, CDC, you're going to look at credible resources. Um, I would also, for the cannabis side, I would also look at sources from Israel and Canada because that's where there's less, cr there's more volume. There's a higher chance of finding good stuff. Um, on the blockchain side, uh, it's, it's so that the reason why we're creating, why I'm creating this course is because it is so hard, first of all, to get caught up with everything and to understand like different um, difference between proof of state, pr proof of work. It's like all those different nuances. 
it's really there's so much crap out there yeah it's um, complicated it really is complicated it's really complicated because we're not programmers we're yeah. pharmacists you know and even for programmers i've spoken to programmers about it and they're still like they still don't know because it's like it's uh it's a whole new science basically it's all in the science and it keeps on changing like mm-hmm. every month it's like something new comes out uh with sharding and all this crap yeah. it's like yeah it's it's really um I don't know if I have really good advice other than what I said to basically go to that course. And if you're, if you're able to afford it and um, at an organization, if the organization is able to afford it and go that route, that's the perfect route. So if you're a pharmacist, executive leadership uh, somewhere, go to that blockchain training Alliance, PB patient empowered blockchain. And I would definitely encourage your organization to invest in that because that's when that's what's going to give your company uh, the cutting edge and as quick as possible because like like you said there's a lot of cra- there's a lot of crap out there <laughs> yeah and i will say um there is you know just to give everyone a a bit of an insight too so i was recently at a large retailer um conference called nacds and i was in a, like literally i mean i'm not going to mention who it was but very high c-suite level executives at a very large retailer that were concerned that their pharmacists are not prepared and equipped with information um, to, you know, to for their pharmacists to talk to their patients about cannabis. And all the major drug information companies are looking to have this information available. So um, right. it's definitely something that, you know, really I think I would encourage people to start at least getting the basics on because it is going to be huge and you will fall behind if you don't keep up with it. So um, with that, let's wrap up here. Can you, uh, please, Stephen, just tell the listeners a little bit about where, or you know, just tell them where they can find you and how they can best connect? Sure. So, email is Steve at cureall.app. So, you can email me uh, questions, interested about the blockchain side or the cannabis side. Um, the web, our website is www.integrativecarealliance.com. Um, uh, a lot of the things that we're working on in terms of the app, it's currently in development, so not much out, out there yet. So I would encourage you to email me and uh, that'd be the best thing. And we could talk about it and I could send you some information in terms of the course. Like I said before, just Google PEB patient empowered blockchain, blockchain training Alliance, and, uh, that'll, that'll bring you to the course. Nice. All right. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for being on the show. We really, really appreciate it. Richard, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed what you just listened to. Make sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms and however you're listening, whether it be on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or something else we didn't just mention, we'd appreciate you to subscribe, leave us a rating, and even drop us a comment and let us know what you think. And until next time, see you over the counter. Pharmacy.